Welcome everyone to New Life Sunday service. Uh, welcome once again if you're just joining us, if you're just tuning in now. Um, New Life is a community that exists for the glory of God and the gospel of grace. So the good news of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who saves us, in him no good thing do we lack and he is our greatest treasure. My name is Young, um, I'm lead pastor here at New Life Sydney. Um, it's my pleasure to welcome you uh, through the live stream and hopefully uh, someday soon to welcome you back into physical service. Um, please do keep praying with us as you stay safe. Uh, continue to uh, keep, I guess, aware of new restrictions and the rules and keep to them uh, so that we can be back together as soon as possible. If you're new to New Life, welcome to the live stream. Uh, we would love to connect with you, uh, even through this medium, so please stick around and fill out the newcomer's form, which will be available to you uh, at the close of service. It's gonna come in the form of a QR code that you can scan with your phone on the computer monitor itself, um, and it'll send you to our link tree where you can fill in a newcomer's form and someone will be in contact with you so that we can continue to keep um, connecting with you. Now, normally we would have our time of fellowship in the service where you can turn around and, and speak to someone, uh, but as we're all joining in online, uh, for our time of uh, fellowship, why don't you type into the live chat, uh, let's talk about one thing that you've learned about yourself during lockdown. So one thing that you've learned about yourself during lockdown, uh, maybe you've realized that you really enjoy sleeping in, maybe you've realized that you really uh, don't enjoy watching so much television, you know, whatever it might be, I'll give you a few minutes to type something into the live chat, something that you've learned about yourself. I like that uh, sometimes the guys that are helping to stream the service will look over at me nervously during this time like, should I be typing something too? Yes, you should. <laughs> yeah, feel free to type something in, into the live chat. I've learned that given the option, I really, uh, tend to over-caffeinate myself. Um, if I make like a big pot of coffee and then no one else is drinking it, I realize that I don't like to waste it and so I waste away my body with too much caffeine, which is very bad for me, I hear. Now, if you wanna come back, uh, we're going to be going through the scripture reading now. It's only a couple of verses this week. If you wanna turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, 
We'll look at verses 44 to 46. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. And that'll be on screen for you as well. Um, But do keep your Bibles handy because I do find it's good to continue to refer back. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, and I'll be reading from the CSB. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible message that you have for us through your scripture this morning. We love to read what you have to say to us and we love, Lord, to treasure it in our hearts, Lord. And we love for our hearts to be transformed by you. We pray, Lord, as we hear uh, the preaching of the word, as we read the words of scripture, as we pray and as we discuss uh, with our Sunday groups and with our friends and family, we pray that you would transform our hearts. Help us, Lord, to desire the things that you desire. Help us, Lord, to seek the things that you seek and help us, Lord, to love the things that you love. We want to be transformed by you. We want for our lives to be changed by you. We want to know you in this great way, God. So be with us, God. Prepare our hearts because we can't even prepare them on our own. Open up our ears that we might truly hear you. Keep us from being distracted. Keep us, Lord, focused upon your word and help us, Lord, to seek you in all that we do, all that we hear today, God. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've joined with us uh, for the past couple of weeks, we've looked at how the person and work of Jesus is enough. Uh, That was two weeks ago, and how his status is given to us by his grace. We looked last week as well at the loving character of Jesus, his personality, the way that he welcomes us in, and he actually says that he will never cast out anyone who comes to him. Now, if you've been kind of following along that that trajectory, if you've been listening, you might recognize that this should lead our hearts to treasure Jesus. This should lead us to treasure him. After all, treasuring Christ is a matter of the heart. And so the title of today's sermon is Finding Treasure. I don't know if you ever did this as a kid or if you're, you know, while you're growing up, uh, but I used to draw treasure maps. You know, did you guys ever do this? I don't know like, if anyone has ever done this. And even though I made the map up myself or I made it up with my uh, school friend or whatever, I would imagine actually following the map. You know, I would kind of draw it around my neighborhood, put the woods here and all this kind of stuff. And I would imagine following it and somehow finding actual buried treasure where I had put the X myself. 
and I imagine the incredible joy of finding this treasure. Maybe my overactive imagination uh, kind of pictured a pirate somehow following the map that I had made up myself. Now, I do have treasure in my life that I want to tell you about, and clearly because it's part of this church service, you know, you know what's coming. And there is a true joy that's foundational to my life because of this found treasure. And this, of course, doesn't mean I'm without my struggles. You know, as I continue to learn throughout lockdown, uh, I'm not without my struggles, and yet, underlying all of this is joy. Rather than sadness or emptiness being my foundation or my default, it's joy. Joy is at the solid foundational level when you tear everything down, there's joy. Then this is why I want to share this treasure with you though. As the old quote goes, I'm one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Jesus is treasured to the point that I will give my life, my everything for him, treasured to the point that my heart is completely given over to him already, where I would turn over everything and give my all for him. Many years ago, when I gave my life to Christ, it was after having heard the good news of the gospel of grace many, many times, but it wasn't until it took hold of my heart that I was able to actually do this. Because after all, treasuring Christ is a matter of the heart. Now, in our modern Christianity, oftentimes our intellect, our will, even our emotions are engaged. When we come and we're a part of this service, a lot of these things get engaged. Whether you feel something because of the praise and you raise your hands in the air, or whether you hear something stimulating and you think, oh man, I never thought about it like that. Oftentimes, these are the parts of us in our modern Christianity that get engaged. But our hearts, they remain this subtle, shadowy figure in the background, controlling everything from behind the scenes. Our hearts are the things that ultimately instruct us. Our passage today from Matthew makes a point that there can be treasure that is worth selling everything in order to possess. Whether we were actively searching for this treasure or not, when we come across it, we must see it's worth the cost. And so it is with membership in the kingdom, with knowing God. Now, in order to get to this point where we would give up everything for the sake of this treasure, once again, our hearts must be moved. Our hearts actually have to be in it. If our hearts aren't in it, we're gonna end up resenting what we do, and it becomes something that ultimately stumbles us rather than spurring us on. A few years ago in Melbourne, um, before anything like coronavirus happened, I remember I got really excited about the possibility of getting fit. You know, we were gonna be playing soccer soon, indoor soccer, and I thought, man, I don't wanna just throw up after running for five minutes. And so I thought, all right, I'm gonna take out a gym membership. My heart wasn't really in it though. I just wanted to do something else because of the gym membership. 
And so I would go once or twice a year. And ultimately, it ended up just stumbling me as I thought about this gym membership, as I would see the charges come up on my statements and I would think, I hate this thing so much. And ultimately, I ended up resenting the gym membership. Now, in the first few months of being with you, New Life, some of you talked to me about how your head is there. You understand the good news of Jesus Christ. Your intellect tells you he's worth following. And you bring yourself to the decision to follow him. You will yourself to seek him. But many of you have said that you find that there's a disconnect between your head and your heart. A disconnect that you wish wasn't there. So how do we engage the heart? This is the big question today. How do we actually engage our hearts? Matthew 13, 44 reads, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. So Jesus is telling his disciples this parable of hidden treasure, telling them about a man who was very happy, understandably, about his discovery. I mean, put yourself in the man's shoes. Just found buried treasure. You're joyful. The man's joy leads him to go off and buy the field, even though this means he has to sell everything he owns first in order to possess this field. Now, why might this be the case? So a little bit of background information. Keep in mind that this was a time when there were no banks or places to keep things safe, to keep your possessions safe. So one thing that people of this time did was go and bury their valuable possessions. That's how they would keep things safe. And if anyone did this before going off somewhere so that robbers don't come into their house and steal everything, but then for some reason they didn't return, or, remember this is times of frequent war, if they did this in order to keep their stuff away from looting soldiers, and if they didn't survive, then all their stuff might just lay there dormant underground until they're discovered later by chance, like we see in this parable. And so buried treasure isn't too far out of the realm of possibility for a lot of people. So when people found treasure in this way, basically the law went it was a case of finders keepers. You found it, you keep it, except with a catch. If the person who found the treasure was an employee of someone, then the employer, the boss, might say that his employee was acting as his agent when he was lifting up the treasure. He was hired for the task, especially if the field or the land belonged to the boss himself. And so a dispute could arise. You can see where this is going. That would mean that the treasure would belong to the boss, ultimately. So what this man does in this parable, by buying the field before he actually takes the treasure out, before he lifts the treasure, he was removing the possibility that such a dispute could actually take place. He was basically saying, this treasure is clearly mine. Even if I work for someone else, this field is mine, and so I'm working 
within my own field and my own time, and what I find is mine. Now, the fact that he has to sell everything he owns in order to buy the field tells us that he was a poor man. It wasn't, you know, Sydney-level prices for land at this time, as you can imagine. So he could sell everything he owns, even as a poor man, and possess this small field. But all else is counted as of less worth than the treasure. And so it is with the kingdom of God. Now, to an outsider's perspective, membership in the kingdom may not seem like riches, but it's of far surpassing value to those that know. Just like to outsiders, owning this field might seem to be of less value than everything else this man owns because they don't know about the buried treasure that's in this field. So, background information out of the way. How do we get to this point of joy? How do we get to the joy that's described in this parable? This man, it says, in his joy, finding treasure must surely be a joyful experience. And therein lies the crux of the matter. This is the decisive point. Treasure. If we don't recognize something as treasure, we would have no joy when we find it. Here's just something I dug up. I don't know what this is. It will be a joyless discovery that leads to apathy. If we don't recognize the good news of Jesus as treasure, then we become apathetic to it. Now, although this man wasn't on active, an active search for treasure, and the parable seems to suggest that he stumbled upon this discovery accidentally, he still recognized the treasure for what it was, something that will completely change his life. He will no longer be poor after this. This is every get-rich-quick kind of fantasy that was going on at this time. As someone who was employed by someone else, this would change his life forever. Now Jesus goes on to tell us about another man. Verses 45 to 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Now this is a man who knows what he's after. He's actually on the lookout for the best pearls. And he's successful in finding what he was after. In fact, it's better than he could imagine. It's a priceless pearl that he didn't expect. Even though he's on the lookout for the best of pearls, here is one that he couldn't even imagine. This one is flawless. One of far surpassing value. And so he does the same thing as the man in the previous parable. He goes, sells everything he has, and he buys this pearl. We see in both of these parables that it's important to take action while the opportunity is there. While the pearl is still for sale, the man buys it. While the field is still for sale, he buys it. 
when the opportunity is there, they take it. And so when it comes to the matter of the kingdom of God, no price is too great. It doesn't make sense to wait for tomorrow. If God says to follow him by putting down everything else, we follow him by putting down everything else. Giving up all that you have is not too much. And it isn't about just purely recognizing the value of the treasure or the pearl either, and thus seeking a better life. It's about the surpassing beauty to gaze upon it and see just how perfect our God is. To look upon his beauty, it's enough to necessitate an entire change of life. Both parables show the men willing to sell everything they own for the sake of what they find. In the second parable, we see the further detail that he's a merchant, and yet he's willing to give up everything for the sake of keeping this beautiful pearl. What does a merchant do? He owns a bunch of stuff that he needs to sell in order to keep his life going. But instead, he changes his life by getting rid of everything else so that he could own this one pearl, not to sell it, but to gaze upon it. He changes his life. In the modern day, oftentimes we as Christians, actually not even just we as Christians, everyone, we're like big brains wandering around, soaking up information. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? We study for years so that we can study some more at university, at TAFE, maybe even beyond that. And then we lay in beds at night, scrolling on our phones to stimulate our brains or maybe to vegetate our brains. And then we sit and listen to Bible teaching, taking in a bunch of information. We're like big brains on sticks. We're like big brains covered by a suit of spongy armor. We're big brains. But it doesn't quite satisfy, does it? From what I've gathered in my conversations with some of you, what we're after is not just a transfer of information. That's not what we're after on a Sunday. That's not what we're after in Sunday groups. That's not what we're after at church or in life. We're tired of just hearing information. We're after an experience of God. And some of us, some of us find this treasure when we're least expecting it. I knew a man who came to find this treasure in his 40s. He was sitting at home, not having had actively searched for God. And then suddenly, he opens up the Bible and he reads a passage and he thinks, I think I believe in this. I think I'm a Christian. And he finds this treasure after 40 something odd years of not following Christ. Others of us, have been searching for a long time, trying to figure out meaning to this life. And that's some of your stories as well. Growing up within Christian households, hearing about God constantly, and trying to figure this life out. Trying to figure out what makes my family, what makes my friends believe in a way that I don't believe. I wanna find out. And then one day you finally find that priceless pearl. And you say, ah, I get it. I'll get rid of everything else in order to obtain this one thing. 
And all of us at some point face that big inevitable question. What is the point of life? If there's to be meaning to the few years that we spend on this earth, the point of our lives has to stretch beyond the time that we spend here on earth, reaching further than we can grasp. And so we seek, whether actively or inactively, to find this meaning, and here it is. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like treasure. It's like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When we truly know this, when it's no longer us being informed of something that we can just tuck away in a corner of our minds or write down in a journal somewhere, then it also goes further than just an emotional outburst now and again. It becomes more than just gritting our teeth and forcing ourselves to act in certain ways. The treasure of our hearts, it becomes something that transforms our minds. It changes our root motivations what we live for, what we're going to die for. It's love. It's commitment. It's the zealous pursuit of God. Whatever your heart finds loveliest in your life, whatever it finds the most beautiful or worthy of pursuit, these are the things that it treasures. And therefore, these are the things that your heart worships and sets about to serve. And you might not immediately recognize it because it's not always there front and center with this big banner that says, here is what I love, here is what I worship, here is what I treasure. But oftentimes, it'll be a little bit more subtle. It'll just set your life on a certain trajectory as you continue to serve it in certain ways. What do you put all your money to? What do you get excited by? What do you comfort yourself with? These are the things that you treasure. You will always, implicitly or explicitly, be motivated by the things that your heart is set upon. If it isn't Christ, well, it'll be something else that you sooner or later will sell all that you have in order to possess, because our hearts will always seek to treasure something. So why is Jesus the one that we treasure? Why is he worthy of being our treasure? Jesus is the one who has saved us, loving us when we were at our darkest, he did it out of the riches of his grace, not out of the goodness of our hearts or because we had something to offer him. He did it out of the riches of his grace. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When you consider these verses, it seems to me that it's not only describing what we ought to do, it's also describing what Jesus did for us. Except he didn't find the finest of pearls in us. He found 
flawed, broken pearls. And he said, I must have it. In fact, the priceless pearl was a pearl of God's will. As the one who was in possession of everything, enjoying perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he was willing to place all aside, considering us in the will of God so priceless that he would give all. He would give everything in order that we would be his. How can we not look upon him with love? How can our hearts not treasure him? Colossians chapter three reads this. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. If you're a follower of Christ, and you're listening to this message this morning, explore this question over the coming week. Until next week, explore this question. Commit yourself to finding out why you do or why you don't treasure Christ. And if you aren't yet a follower of Christ, commit yourself to finding out about this Jesus and why we Christians seek to treasure him with our whole hearts. Why do we make it such a big deal that we must treasure him above all things? And in either instance, ask God for help in this because it's a work that's beyond our comprehension and our own ability. Pray, asking for him to reveal to you just how lovely Jesus is, just how beautiful and valuable this treasure is. Ask him to move your heart and to give it all for him. Why don't you join with me in prayer? Father, we come to you this morning and we've heard the message that your kingdom is like a man who finds treasure in a field. It's like a man in search of fine pearls. We wanna know your kingdom in a way that's greater than just information that we hear, greater than just information that we intake and internalize. We want it to transform. We want an experience of you, God. You draw near to us, Lord, constantly. You've never cast us far from you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would turn our hearts around. Turn us around that we might know you. Turn us around that we might truly desire you.
that we might treasure you with our whole hearts. Even now, Lord, there are things in our hearts that are clamoring, that are saying, don't give me up. But we ask, Lord, that you would silence those voices. Help us, Lord, not to make good things ultimate things, but help us, Lord, to make the truly good one, the truly ultimate one, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Lord over our hearts as well, God. May we treasure him with our whole hearts, God. Would you reveal to us in the pits of our hearts, in the depths of our hearts, what it is that we truly treasure, that we might give it up for the sake of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to treasure him with our whole hearts. Help us, Lord, to seek him. Transform us from the inside out that we might love you, that we might seek you. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.